Radio Medical Education Podcast. Listeners, this is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with a little bit of a local focus. I'm thrilled to have a chance to speak with Laura Farrell, who's a colleague of mine at the University of British Columbia, where she's clinical associate professor in internal medicine and associate dean of student affairs. I reached out to Laura because she has a paper coming out in the March 2023 issue of Medical Education entitled Goal Co-Construction and Dialogue in an Internal Medicine Longitudinal Coaching Program. Laura, so good to see you in this context. Great to see you, and I'm thrilled to be on. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. It's going to be difficult for me today because I've known of your work quite independent of this paper, but I'll try to ask questions that assume our listeners aren't quite as familiar with it. To do that, let me just start with the notion of longitudinal coaching. You've put a lot of effort into building training programs with a genuine formative influence. What led you down this path and why is that the model that you're exploring? Well, it started with my work in feedback and goal co-construction in feedback. We were looking at it within a clinical setting and found that although learners could come to the table with their goals and faculty had goals for learners, what was difficult was figuring out which goals in the clinical setting to focus on. And there needed to be some negotiation, goal co-construction, which was hard. And Within internal medicine and even within the undergrad program at UBC, we've been looking at instituting coaching programs and internal medicine was relatively new in their coaching program. So I ended up speaking with Rose Hadla and Carrie Chunchik, who were coaches and Rose headed the competency committee about looking at what goal co-construction might look like in these longitudinal coaching programs and identify faculty development around goal-oriented feedback conversations. And so we brought that into the longitudinal coaching faculty development and then wanted to study what those actual conversations were like over time to see what we could learn about the whole process. Can you say a little bit more about how you actually implement it? These coaches are separate from the residents' typical preceptors or how do they get matched up? That's right. Every first year resident gets paired with a coach and some coaches had a couple of residents. So there's about 50 first year residents within our internal medicine training program. And the program just matches them randomly. There isn't, I don't think, an attempt to make any sort of fit. Both the residents and the coaches go through a training process. So the residents learn a little bit about how to goal set and how to pre-reflect for the coaching meetings. And then the coaches learn about We used the R2-C2 model in our faculty development, so learned a little bit about longitudinal coaching within the Royal College Coaching Overtime Program, which was the longitudinal coaching. And then we introduced the notions of goal co-construction and discussed why that was important with the coaches prior to them starting the program. And then we actually, Rose Carey and I would met with the coaches three or four times over the course of the year to discuss any challenges and let people share what was working for them and wasn't working for them and troubleshoot in those meetings. And that was in addition to audio recording, the actual coaching meetings, as I understand it. So how did you get access to to those sorts of fly on the wall materials? Yeah, so we put the call out to all the residents and we had eight residents in total that were willing to audio record their conversation with coaches and those coaches were willing to be audio recorded. And so we just asked them to use their phone actually at first to audio record the conversation and send them in. And then with COVID hitting, 
midway through, it actually became quite easy because all the conversations was over Zoom and we were able to get those uploaded and transcribed. And then we also did exit interviews separately with each of the coach and residents around school co-construction and just the coaching process in general and how it all went for them. The phrase goal co-construction, co-regulated learning is a term that I think has really hit the scene in the last couple of years. There's so much emphasis on self-regulated learning. Curious if you can, again, just say a little bit more about why you prioritize that particular aspect and if your participants were given any specific guidance on what they should be doing to engage in that activity. I think similar to the feedback conversation, goals play a prominent role. I mean, if you go back to Andy's paper in 1984, you should develop feedback around goals or develop goals out of feedback. And moving forward, there's been a lot of discussion within feedback around this goal formation, but not a lot of discussion around what those goals actually are, how you have those conversations, and how do you move forward with learners. So that was the focus of the work that I did before. And again, those goal conversations were a lot harder than you might imagine. So the goal co-construction came out of that. And what it looked like is that in higher education, there's this theory around goal co-construction that to do it well, you need to, first of all, understand your own goals. The teacher or preceptor needs to be able to share their goals and have a conversation around that. There needs to be dialogue. And then if the goals are mismatched, there needs to be a way to negotiate not to, you know, whose goal is better than the other, but just figure out what can be learned or co-construct a new goal if it's not one goal or the other, if there's something in between. And then the role of the preceptor teacher is to make sure program-specific goals get met. And so this is what we introduced to the faculty in the coaching world. So when they met with their residents, we wanted to make sure that they were able to have that discussion with the learner or with the resident around their goals, that if there was goals that didn't seem to match if the coach had certain goals they thought the resident needed to meet or the resident had certain goals that they needed to, to meet but the coach wasn't sure that they co-constructed that and one of the things the program was asking the coaches to do was to make sure that all the EPAs were done and that MCQ marks were reviewed and knowledge was worked on and that sort of thing so program specific goals were met in that way and so that's what we talked through with the faculty development and then watch that unfold in real life over the year. And as you watch it unfold, one of the first, well, the first theme that you note is that the content of those discussions tended to focus on how to be a resident. Can you unpack that for those who haven't seen the paper yet? Sure. Yes. It was interesting in that when we started to read the transcripts, we were looking for examples of residents talking about direct patient care where they had challenges and they might troubleshoot with their preceptor how to address those challenges. But instead, most of the goals were around how to actually function as a first-year resident. How do you study when you're in busy clinical settings? How do you start picking electives for second year? How do you transition to senior? How do you build teaching into your day-to-day practice? especially when there's no medical students due to COVID. So all of these things became the goals. You know, what we saw happen in the feedback clinical world was that you had to negotiate what goals to actually talk about. But what didn't happen was that because you had 30 minutes to an hour to talk to a coach and every goal was fair game. You could talk about everything. It was more, how were you going to meet all of these resident specific goals? 
Do you mean that those are moments that seem to be set aside from the clinical work and so they chose to focus on different aspects? I'm curious as to, I guess, whether or not that surprised you because most of the time we talk about training, we talk about how to develop the clinical expertise. I'm just wondering as to your thoughts as to what was the motivation to use this context for those how to be a resident sorts of conversations? So all of these discussions occurred outside of clinical practice. And in our coaching program, all coaching programs are set up a little bit differently. Our coaches were usually not involved in any clinical training of the residents. And so they never had the opportunities to directly observe residents. So we wondered if the reason they were talking about different things was because they actually didn't see the residents in clinical practice. We also wondered if it was just because there's so much feedback around what happens with direct patient care and and the discussion is in the moment that it didn't need to be discussed in the coaching setting. We did talk about creating smart goals and some of the things they talked about may be more tangible than things that might come up that you might forget about when you finally go and meet with your coach. But the interesting thing is, is that several of the residents said in their exit interviews that they were so grateful to have a space to talk about those resident things outside of patient care because in clinical practice, it is mostly about the patient and how they can better manage the patient and better treat the patient, which obviously is the most important thing. But this space to support them and support their movement through their first year of residency. And the last coaching session was just in the beginning of their second year was so helpful as they evolved. It may be most important in the proximate instance of that particular patient, but in the sort of longer term interest of larger number of patients, you use the phrase professional identity. And I imagine there aren't a lot of opportunities that these residents have to actually explicitly talk to somebody about how they're growing as a professional. Absolutely. Yeah. And we actually saw them grow as a professional. We saw the evolution. So we tracked goals through and we saw the resident talk about how they wanted to build their knowledge base in their first three months and didn't quite know how to do that. And the coach had a lot of input. But as you moved into the second year of residency, first of all, the residents led the conversations much more, but also they started to say, you know, when we talked about doing it this way, it doesn't really work for me. Here's what I know I need to do now. So you really saw them taking charge of their learning more, but also evolving as learners and as residents. And so just thinking from that to if others want to implement a program like this, you alluded earlier to there not being a right in terms of, you know, is it one person's goal or the other that takes priority? But what's your advice on how to negotiate these sorts of conversations as coach now that you've actually had the opportunity to observe co-construction take place? I think most of our coaches and I've coached myself find it very difficult not to lead or really guide that conversation. And so being aware of your own biases that you bring in, you have ideas of where they need to go, but they need to work through that journey and being able to have a dialogue with the learners and be open-minded to what they say, but then offer your expertise is so important. I don't know if I'm saying this well, but what you know the coach says, it was just so tough not to tell the residents what to do and to let them have those experiences, but be there to support, provide opportunities or options on how to meet these goals that you're working through together. And when they did 
sit back a little bit and let the resident work through it with them. They found that the conversations were more meaningful, that some of what they talked about actually got inputted more. So when you just, it was interesting because some of the coaches would say, well, I told them they should do this. And they came back three months later and it didn't happen. But when there was a conversation or a dialogue around what could be done and different options, and then the residents sort of settled on something, then you could actually see that being put into place. So it's just having that dialogue and being open to letting the residents co-construct with you as opposed to telling them how they can meet their goals is so important. That's great. And so let me just wrap up by asking you, you're clearly an advocate of these sorts of activities. I mean, you've been you know, deeply involved and clearly think they're worth the time. Before we started recording, I asked you about how you wanted to be introduced because I know that like many of our listeners, you wear a lot of different hats in your professional role and are maintaining a family and everything else. And given that you're exceptionally busy, why do you prioritize coaching of this type? What makes it sufficiently important to you that you've carved off space for it? Another way to phrase it is if you're to try to argue to someone else that they should do it, what would you suggest? I think that the relationship aspect of the longitudinal coaching process is so important. The coaches are insiders in a program that residents are coming into in first year, you know, not even knowing what they're going to be doing in the clinical world, let alone outside in their evenings and weekends and how they're going to see themselves evolve over time. And I really saw this coaching program, and I see it now in my own coaching world, being a place where residents can touch in, can ask some difficult questions that they can't ask of their preceptors potentially that are assessing them. And that fact that it's tracked over time, it's actually a really good confidence booster for the resident. We saw in several places where they were able to go back and the residents were saying, I'm not really sure. And then you go back and see where you were at month three and the coach could reinforce how far they'd come. So in terms of why is that so important, well-being is, it's a huge factor in medicine right now. I think it's something that everybody is concerned about. And I see these coaching programs as supporting that well-being. If you can support someone's professional identity formation, if you can give them some confidence by showing them how they evolve over time, because you're there with them, I think that you're going to help support the well-being of that resident. And that's huge. Absolutely. And all the more reason that we have to thank you for doing it and continuing to study it so that others can do it more effectively. So for those who are interested and want a bit more of the details that Laura has been describing, you will find them in the March 2023 issue of medical education. Again, the paper is titled Goal, Co-Construction, and Dialogue in an Internal Medicine Longitudinal Coaching Program. Laura Farrell is the first author who you've been listening to. And Laura, again, thanks for making the time and thanks for this great work. Can I thank my co-authors? Please. Carrie Chunchik, Wendy Hartford, Rose Hadala, and Rola Ajawi. Awesome. It's a great team. And uh, I'm sure you had a lot of fun working together. We did. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. 